0: Well, good morning, everyone. Very warm welcome. My name's John, if you haven't met me. I'm one of the student ministers here at DPC. It's uh, just a privilege to be able to bring God's Word to you all this morning. So if you can keep your Bibles open to Acts 16. We're going to be looking at Acts 16 to 18 this morning. So it's a big passage. Unfortunately, we're not going to have time to read all of it and to go over every detail today. But can I just encourage you this week... Take some time to read all of it. It won't take you too long by yourself. And it is a really wonderful passage. So take the time to do that. Andrew's preaching on chapter 17. the latter half of that next week as well. Well, it was the night of my 21st birthday. I'd had a party and now my friends had left and I was listening to some music to wind down. I'm slightly embarrassed to say that the first song choice that I chose was some Christian rap, um, a rap called Don't Waste Your Life by Lecrae. Now, before you're all about to get up and leave, I'm not about to give you a rendition. Um, But this, this rap is always connected with me because I think it touches on a fear that I have that I'll reach the end of my life and I'll look back at everything that I've done and I'll feel disappointed. I'll feel empty, like I've wasted my life. So what does it look like to live a successful life, to not waste our lives? I'm sure there's lots of different answers out there. When my family and I moved over from uh, New Zealand to Sydney, it was a chance to reflect on uh, the few years that we'd had in the deep south of New Zealand. Uh, We had made some money, we had uh, gone up in the corporate world a bit, we'd bought a house, we'd had a child. Does that mean that our life was a success? Or well, some people might say yes, but as Christians, we know that there's more to life than just the things around us. We know that one day we're not only going to have to face ourselves, we're going to have to face God. We're going to have to give an account for what we've done to him. Not in the sense of being judged, because we know that there's no condemnation in Christ, but in the very real sense that we are still responsible for the time and for the gifts that God has given us. So what does success look like as a Christian? How do we know, DPC, if we're succeeding as a church? It's an important question for us to consider, especially at this time in the life of the church. How we look back in five years or even ten years and be able to tell that efforts haven't gone to waste? Well, today we're looking at Acts 16 to 18. This passage tells the story uh, of what is known as Paul's second missionary journey, and it's really a tale of five cities as the gospel goes out to the ends of the earth. And what I want us to do today is to look at Paul's ministry in these five cities and to consider what does success look like for Paul. And we're going to do this by looking at it in two parts. We're going to look at the results of Paul's ministry, and we're going to look at the work of Paul's ministry, the result and the works. Well, if we want to know whether we've been successful or not, the most natural place and the place that we look first is the results, isn't it? Ladies, uh, today I'm sure you're looking forward to sampling the cakes that we've all been working on. And the easiest way to tell whether we've been successful or not is going to be to look at the results of our efforts, isn't it? It's going to be to look at the cake, to taste the cake. That's how you'll know whether we've been successful or not. So let's start by taking a, a look at the result of Paul's ministry. The first city that Paul visits is Philippi in chapter 16. Paul seems to start off with a bang. Lydia in verse 15 is baptized. You see in verse 33 that the jailer and his household likewise. But at the same time, there's also plenty of opposition. Paul and Silas are thrown in jail. In the end, they're asked to leave the city. In Thessalonica, if you turn over with me to chapter 17, verse 4, we read that some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. Yet immediately after, in verse 5, we read, but other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace. They formed a mob, and they started a riot in the city. Berea seems to go a bit better. In verse 11, we see now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. Just as things appear to be going well, men from Thessalonica get wind of what's going on in Berea and they send down some people to start another riot there. And the same sort of thing happens in Athens and in Corinth. In each instance, Paul proclaims Christ, and there's a mixture of belief and of opposition. So how should we judge the success of Paul's ministry? Well, if we're looking at at the results, we'd have to say it's really a bit of a mixed bag, isn't it? In every instance there's some that believe and some that there's opposed. Does this mean that Paul should really come up with a different ministry strategy? Well, if we're judging his success of the results, then maybe he should. Maybe he needs to have a bit more of a seeker-friendly message. Talk to the marketing team and think about his image. Maybe update the music. But what, what can we take from this? Well, What we actually see here is that the result of Paul's ministry, the outcome, is up to God. Uh, God hasn't been absent from this story. If we, uh, in the reading, we read that it was God that directed Paul through a vision to Macedonia in the first place in verses 7 to 10. It was God that caused the earthquake in Philippi in verse 26. But the greatest work that God did throughout this whole passage was the work to open the spiritual eyes of those who were blind and those who were dead, taking them from spiritual death and blindness to a real, genuine faith in God. Read with me again the story of Lydia's conversion in chapter 16, verse 14. It says, one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. You see, I think there's a reason why this is the first conversion that we see here in this passage. Luke is wanting us to see that it's really God is the one who changes hearts and minds. God is the one that brings us from light into darkness. But what does this mean for Paul and how we judge success? Well, I quite like board games. I tend to be quite competitive when it comes to them. Um, But there's one particular board game that really frustrates me to no end, and that is the board game Risk. If you've never played Risk before, it's a game of world domination. The earth is split up into countries. You build up armies and you try to take over the world. Now, the reason why this game frustrates me so much is the combat. So for combat, you've got to roll dice to see who wins. And in my arrogance, I think I've got the best strategy in the world, but for whatever reason, I'm always rolling ones and twos, and my opponents are always rolling fives and sixes. It's endlessly frustrating. Why? Because in the end, the dice control the outcome of the game, not me or my opponents. Now, if Paul, and if we primarily judge our success in mission by the number of people that believe or by the number of people that oppose, then we're going to run into problems. Why is that? Well, the message that Christ is king can only result in either belief or in rejection. There's no room for agnostics or for fence-sitters, but whether someone rejects Christ or whether they believe is entirely up to God. Yet we forget this all the time, don't we? We end up judging ourselves and what God is or isn't doing. Like me playing risk, we try to control the results when the reality is, is it that we can't. And so the church might start to grow. Hundreds of people come to faith in Christ and suddenly we think we're God's gift to humanity and we need to write all sorts of books detailing our awesome ministry strategy. On the flip side, we have a conversation with a friend and they react appallingly and we're convinced that we're no longer called to share Christ with anyone. It's someone else's job. Friends, as counterintuitive and as countercultural as it is today, we can't judge our success by the results of our mission. Because at the end of the day, we can't change people's hearts. We can't even change our own hearts. That is ultimately God's work. So if we shouldn't look to the results of our ministry to judge our success, then what should we do? Does that mean we can just sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride? Well, we've looked at the results of Paul's ministry. Now, let's take a look at the work of Paul's ministry. And what we see here is that the way that we judge success in ministry and in our own lives is by proclaiming Christ and leaving the results up to God. We are called to proclaim Christ and to leave the results up to God. And to do this, I want to look at the why, the what, and the how of faithfully proclaiming Christ. The why, the what, and the how. So firstly, why? Why proclaim Christ? Well, let's look again at Acts 16. We're going to look at verses 29 to 30. And the jailer called for lights, and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Well, I was studying in Christchurch after the big earthquakes there, and I can tell you from personal experience that there's nothing quite like an earthquake to make you feel incredibly small and helpless. How much more so when this event occurred, when the only reason for an earthquake was an act of God? Not only this, but this divine act has led to all of the Doors of the prison being flung open, the prisoners all escaping. The jailer prepares in this moment to kill himself, to face the gods who have handed him this fate, only to hear a shout from inside the prison. Can you imagine the roller coaster of emotions that this man is going through? By verse 29, even though he knows that all the prisoners are still inside the prison, his fate is secure we see that he's still trembling. Here is someone whose life has been physically, emotionally, and spiritually shaken. And God has used this event to bring him to the point where he, he knows that he needs to be saved, that Paul and Silas have something that he doesn't. And so what is Paul and Silas's response? Well, it's simple, but it's incredibly beautiful, isn't it? Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. At the heart of Christianity is this very simple message. Jesus saves. Now, they go on to explain more of what this means, but that's really the core. Paul and Silas give the Sunday school response, Jesus. But there's a reason that Jesus is the Sunday school response, because Jesus really is the answer to all of the deepest desires of our heart. Jesus really is the answer to the problem of sin, both in our own lives and in the world. And maybe you haven't been experiencing physical earthquakes, but maybe God has been shaking your life as well, bringing you to the point where you realize that you too need to be saved. And if that's you here today, the answer is the same today as it was 2,000 years ago. Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus and you will will be saved. Why do we proclaim Christ? Because Christ is the only way to be saved. That's the why. But secondly, what? What should we do to proclaim Christ? Turn with me over to Acts 18. We're going to be looking at verses 9 to 11. Verse 9 says, One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid, Keep on speaking, do not be silent. Now, Paul is in Corinth. Once more, he's faced a mixture of opposition and belief. And in the middle of this time here, he receives this vision and a command from Jesus to go on speaking and to not be silent. Now, Paul has the message of salvation. We have the message of salvation. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. But people need to be told this message, don't they? It involves a conversation. And not just a conversation about the weather, but one that moves deeper to talking about Christ. Being silent is easy, isn't it? It's comfortable. There's lots of reasons to not say something. I don't want to jeopardize the relationship. I'm tired. I'm busy. I'm not sure they care. They'll just think I'm a crazy person. Speaking of, um, there's one thing that I've noticed that I think 90% of people in Sydney seem to have in common, and that is AirPods, AirPods, everywhere they go. Now, I can't tell you the number of times that someone has been making direct eye contact with me, said, hi, how are you doing? Only for me to go, yeah, oh, great, how are you doing, thanks, and for them to look at me like I've completely lost the plot. Now, AirPods phones, even COVID. Something as as simple as a conversation has never been so socially awkward. Yet at the same time, genuine connections are what people desperately desire. The UK recently appointed a minister for loneliness. And so we as Christians today have an incredible opportunity to not only connect with people, but to share with them life-saving news but it involves not being silent. That's the what. Now, I'm sure there's a number of you today who are experiencing a severe case of deja vu. I've heard this message before. Jesus saves, and I need to share it with people. Look, this isn't my first time at church, John. Can we just move on? I've heard this countless times before. But I wonder if we really should move on. You know, in the lead up to Easter, the church gave out pamphlets that you could give to your friends to your neighbours, inviting them to church. And so I wonder, what did you do with those pamphlets? You see, even though we've heard this message countless times, we still struggle to actually do it, don't we? Why is that? Well, that brings me to the how. How are we to go on proclaiming Christ? How are we to speak and to not be silent? Let's look again at Acts 18, verse 9. And the first thing that God says to Paul is, Do not be afraid. Now, if we're honest, the real reason why we struggle to share Christ is because deep down, we're afraid. Now, when I was preparing this sermon, I was challenged to have some conversations with people. What was my first instinct? It was fear. And it's not without good reason that we are afraid. It really is difficult to share the gospel today. Certainly, my experience when I was working is that Christianity just isn't well thought of today anymore. A lot of people have been burnt by the church and by Christians. Others think that if we're at all serious about our faith, we must be some right-wing nutters or conspiracy theorists. Throw into the mix inclusion and diversity and hate speech policies. And there's a very real possibility that even talking about something as simple as sin to the wrong person at the wrong time could have serious consequences. In many ways, this is much easier for those of us who are in ministry or in Bible college. People ask us what we're doing, and we have a natural reason to share about Christ. But for everyone else, it's challenging not only to to start the conversation, but to know how to actually bring it to Christ. Well, we can take heart because we're in good company. Paul himself, the Apostle Paul, is clearly afraid. God sees this and he comforts him in two ways. Firstly, he says, for I am with you. I am with you. How do we have the boldness to share Christ? How do we go on despite our fear? Well, it's knowing and experiencing the presence of God with us. So when we go to share the gospel with a coworker, we can know that whatever happens, Jesus, the one who died for us, who loves us, who is in control of all things, is with us there. Even if it goes worse than you can possibly imagine, you're humiliated, you're laughed at, you're embarrassed in front of everyone. Christ is still with you there in that moment. And if this is true, how can we be afraid? You know, like a little boy with his dad, like a sheep with his shepherd, we will fear no evil. Even if we're thrown in prison, we still have a reason to rejoice because God gives us everything we need to proclaim Christ. He gives us boldness. He gives us encouragement. But most importantly, he gives us a reason and a purpose for sharing Christ because he gives us himself. The second thing we see here is going back to our very first point. God controls the results. God encourages Paul with this in the vision, saying that there are many people in the city who are mine. God knows those who are his. Ultimately, it's God that changes people's hearts and people's minds. So if we're talking to our neighbour and we stumble our way through the most jumbled gospel presentation, if God is working in our neighbor's heart, then nothing we can say or do can stop that message from causing that man to believe or woman to believe. Likewise, we could be the most eloquent Speaker, ever known to mankind, present the most compelling gospel presentation. But if God isn't working in our neighbor's life, and our neighbor's heart, then nothing we can say or do will convince them of their need to believe in God. So even when we stammer and stumble our way through a conversation, we don't need to be afraid because we know that God is with us and that he controls the results. You know, one way this encourages me is it D Y our youth group. If you've ever been to DY, you know that it can be a bit loud and chaotic at times. But every week, we open the Bible together and we talk about Jesus. And it's amazing to see God at work in the midst of it all. Someone remembers a point from Andrew's talk last week. Another, uh, another person who's, who's barely opened the Bible before is able to read something and to understand Seeing people whose families don't come to DY and yet week after week they come along and you see them growing to understand more about who God is. See, God has the power to change hearts, doesn't he? And he invites us, members of DPC, to take part in what he is doing. Maybe it's his parents thinking about how to intentionally share Christ with our kids. How to to read the Bible and pray with them how to even show grace in the way that we discipline. Maybe it's thinking about hospitality, opening our homes, radically loving people by sharing a meal with them and talking to them. Or maybe it's something as simple as prayerfully seeking to have Christ-centered conversations with whoever God places before us. I shared earlier that I was challenged in the midst of this sermon Uh, to go and have some conversations with people. So I set out for the park with my evangelistic prop, my child, and I proceeded to have around a a 10-minute conversation with another dad at the park. It wasn't anything flashy. It was pretty simple, to be honest. Um, I just shared a little bit about why we were in Australia and and, um, how God had called me to Bible college, and then we left. I have no idea what impact this will have in this man's life, but I do know that God is working today throughout all of Sydney. Maybe he's working in your neighbor's life. Maybe he's working in your co-worker's life. Maybe it's that mum at playgroup that you've been talking to for the last few weeks. God is actively preparing people's hearts and lives to hear the good news, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. So what does it look like to live a successful life? We are called to proclaim Christ and to leave the results up to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you most of all for sending your son Jesus down to this earth. And we thank you that in him we can have salvation. And Lord, we thank you so much that you are working today in Sydney, even right now. And Lord, we ask that you would help us as we seek to partake in your mission, that you will give us boldness, that you would give us grace, and help to know that you are with us and that you control the results. So help us to have an attitude where we're seeking prayerfully to share your word and your good news with those around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.